Good morning. Hopefully uh, I'm coming through live into your uh, living rooms. Uh, I see a number of people who have already uh, logged on and welcome. Uh, good morning uh, Beavers who've uh, put a nice uh, notice on. Um, my name is Kev Taylor. I'm the pastor of the Elam Church in Bubush in Crawley. Uh, as with many other churches in the land, uh, we're not meeting physically because of the pandemic and because of the legal restrictions, uh, but he continues to try and work hard uh, digitally and sort of uh, relate over the uh, internet. Every Sunday, I hope to um, stream a live talk, you know, so rather than just doing it all professional and recorded, create a bit of uh, uh, live energy uh, and perhaps synergy if you're, there's some good comments uh, going in and uh so every sunday morning every sunday morning at 10 30 we'll come at you uh through our youtube channel um it would be great if you could join in really appreciate everyone uh, uh that's already commented in the sections uh, uh thanks to sort of ruth and sam and peter who already put stuff so it'd be great if you could continue to get that going sort of uh hallelujahs and amens you may be too shy to do it in a meeting uh but now's the perfect time just a keyboard warrior it out um so greetings and encouragements uh be uh well appreciated i'm glad someone's noticed uh my wife's awesome efforts in reorganizing uh my study it feels uh very feng shui even though we don't believe in that um it would be helpful to yourselves not to me but to you uh if you bring a notepad uh, and a Bible, happy for you to use iPad, phone, whatever it takes, because um, that will help you engage with what is said. Um, and it helps to remember it if you write it down. Uh, that's why you see students doing that, because it, it, it stays in their memory if they've written it out. Uh, 11.30, uh, God willing, tech willing, uh, unless the church is overloaded, Zoom servers, uh, we're going to meet over Zoom uh, for communion, for worship, for prayer and fellowship. We've got some different people leading different elements of that. So it's not just me, uh, but it's everyone else, which is really good. During the week, we've got a few things going. We're going through Alpha online uh, and we have an online prayer meeting. Um, so you've got no excuse to be a stranger uh, and you've got no excuse not to sort of just get involved and your hands dirty uh, with sort of church activity. If you want to do more, you know, your, your heart is burdened for uh, the practical necessities. Uh, you know, you're, you're really into sort of helping other people in a way that sort of touches their lives. Um, just encourage you to check out Love Your Neighbour. Um, it, it was uh, sort of uh, pioneered by the St John's Church in Crawley, but they're kind of releasing it into a, a Crawley-wide initiative. I met with uh, Steve Burston, who's running that, and all his committees and grant applications and everything else and uh, many tens of thousand pounds budget. Uh, met with him uh, walking his dogs yesterday, no coffee, just uh, uh, in the fresh air, um, exercising together. And it was really good just to hear his vision and his amb ambition to just to see this touch town. And we sort of uh, uh, metaphorically linked arms and said, you know, we're with you. So uh, go and I uh, volunteer for Love Your Neighbour and uh, help people practically. You get to deliver prescriptions, you get to uh, uh, help with food banks, all sorts of different things. Um, and I, I hope this doesn't need saying, but if you're struggling with something during lockdown, 
if uh, something's not going well for you, and you know what, it, it, it can happen to any of us, please get in touch. Please get in touch with uh, me or, or one of the other people from church and we'll help where we can. You know, we've even given out uh, um, sort of uh, uh, bought people stuff over the last few weeks to just to help them get through really hard uh, times. Um, so that's kind of prelude, uh, just a reminder uh, of everything uh, that's going on. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 21. And it says this in Acts chapter uh, 21. Some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him. Verse 28. Shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is a man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defied this holy place. They had previously seen Trimophius, uh, the Ephesian in the city, with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately their gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. You can sense this pot boiling over, can't you? When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. In the first century the uh, world was getting to grips with these new passionate uh, mm, uh, group of people that followed Jesus you know they had this new message of hope and life and joy and they were just mad to see everyone uh, uh, listen to them and uh, there was these institutions that responded and there was this casual response of violence and detention and we find it repeated again and again. These uh, new believers uh, took the Jewish faith and seemed to add something to it and while all the uh, old uh, Roman and Greek gods they just denied them and so for the Jews these were abominable heretics who added something that shouldn't have been added and to everyone else which is weird for us today, they were atheists. They didn't believe in most of the gods that everyone else uh, paid homage to. And so the Apostle Paul, who promoted uh, uh, Jesus, he was constantly re wrestling with the civic and military authorities. You know, he was passionate in his efforts to bless the people with the good news. And again and again, he would uh, uh, be blindsided uh, by these people in power. And um, sometimes he would face up to his accusers and you, and you read in Acts of the process uh, of, of him being accused. Um, and other times when he was evangelising, uh, he heard of the rioters and he legged it. Uh, and uh, he sort of uh, uh, just disappeared into the crowd a bit like Jesus. Um, but when he is arrested, he's arrested for disturbing the peace and he's often uh, arrested and then imprisoned imprisoned for his teachings 
And the harsh account that I just read where he's rioted against and then uh, sort of uh, arrested, where they arrest him and then ask questions later. It's just one occasion of many when Paul suffers uh, 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 this uh, prejudice. And now I want to sort of move on to uh, Paul. He's talking to these Corinthian Christians. You read the letters to the Corinthians and you wonder how on earth he even kept bothering with them at all. They were just all over the place. And uh, uh, time and time again, Paul has to uh, defend himself. Uh, defend himself because there was more popular leaders. There were more charismatic leaders. There were leaders that told the people what they wanted to hear. Um, people that uh, massaged their egos and uh, uh, caused them uh, uh, to uh, listen to something that was wrong. So listen to this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is Paul uh, defending himself. Two Corinthians chapter 11, verse uh, 21. What anyone else dares to boast about, and I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my own mind to talk like this. I am more. Listen to this. Boasting. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Throughout the book of Acts and the letters that he writes to the various Christian fellowships littered across the uh, Roman Empire, we find Paul increasingly familiar with Roman procedure. Uh, he is he is often again and again the victim of it. Roman procedure. He becomes acquainted too familiarly with uh, military personnel. He becomes uh, a victim of martial law. And we find him again and again uh, uh, running up um, against this. And indeed many of his letters were, were written under house arrest uh, while he was in prison and um, when Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesus about spiritual warfare and we began to look at that last week he cannot help but draw from his experiences from his encounters the the moments where he ran up against the Roman Empire now there are other moments where uh, there are other uh, points that sort of influence this armour of God that he talks about. But it is undeniable that his experiences of the Roman military um, also flavour what he writes. When he talks about the armour of God, he also has in mind, as well as some other stuff we'll just discuss um, in, a, in a week or two, he has in mind the might of the Roman Empire, the force of the Roman military. Um, and it's easy, isn't it, to think that as he's under house arrest, as he's imprisoned, as he's in chains, as he again and again rolls his eyes as Romans just don't know what to do with him, so they uh, take him away. And as he sees firsthand these uh, soldiers, um, it's easy to imagine that um, as he talks about the armour of God, he looks at these Roman soldiers. He sees how disciplined they are. He sees how well equipped they are. He sees how effective they are at doing their job. 
And he looks at Christians and he says, oh, I would long for you to be something like that. I long for you to have the same discipline, to have the same uh, uh, equipping, to know the same effectiveness as these Romans that police our land at the moment. I mean, these Roman soldiers, they looked after an empire that encapsulated virtually the entire Mediterranean region. Almost the whole known world for Paul was occupied by the uh, Rome and the soldiers which made sure that its empire stayed where it was. Now, before I talk a little bit more about this, I want to make a little side note because Paul is constantly in prison. Paul is constantly arrested. Paul is constantly subject to the civic and military authorities that take him out of action. But for him, that imprisonment was not loss, was not a failure for the kingdom. It was not a defeat for Jesus. It was not somehow... Uh, the gospel or the kingdom of God had been surprisingly uh, undercut. Paul, even in prisons, even in chains and shackles, could talk about victory in Christ. Even when Roman soldiers were escorting him everywhere, even when he was looking to his, forward to his death in Rome, even then he was still in victory. I wonder if we can process that. I wonder if we can allow his uh, contentment in whatever situation to flavour how we look at scenarios in our own life. As we explore the reality of spiritual warfare, I don't want us to imagine that winning, that putting on this full armour, that being a warrior in spiritual warfare involves comfort or luxury or health or wealth or public significance. Those are the things the world runs after and thinks are uh, the sign of success. But Paul is in chains. Paul is under house arrest. Paul cannot go anywhere. Paul makes your self-isolation look like a picnic and a birthday present. But he is still in victory. He is still seeing the kingdom of God established. And it's good to remember those words of Peter that we looked at before uh, lockdown began in March. We're only passing through this world. This world is not all there is. This is the world we're not to live for. We are moving through into uh, an eternity. You and I can know what it is to be a successful Christian soldier and still be isolated, still be poor and sick. These are not metrics of the kingdom of God. These are not ways to measure whether you are a prayer warrior, whether you are a prophet, whether you are a man or a woman aligned with the purposes of God. Paul was in prison and was still enjoying God's favour. So whatever circumstance we find it, we mustn't think it discounts our spiritual war. We mustn't think it somehow invalidates our spiritual disciplines, that somehow it's not worth it. And, and I preach this to myself as much as to you, because you sometimes go, oh, if, if, if this happened, 
surely that means that I'm not praying hard enough or I'm not fasting hard enough or uh, God doesn't love me or something else. And Paul says, you know, Paul can be in chains and still say that he is a warrior for God. It is in eternity that our efforts will shine, that we'll find out how well disciplined we were, how an effective Christian soldier we were. That is when we will know our true reward. So don't let the current circumstances, the current situations, the current hardships, the current drudgeries uh, uh, somehow make you imagine that you are failing, that somehow you are out of God's purposes, that somehow uh, uh, you are rubbish. Because it's not true. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. hope you're all still with me. A couple of comments in and uh, open your Bibles, please, uh, if you can, to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And it says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, because that's what we looked at last week but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. I'm going to look at verse 14 next time. I had thought we would maybe get through it in a week, but um, that is not the case. Do you notice um, Paul's peculiar instruction to stand? He doesn't say advance with the will of God, take on Christ's victory and sock it to them, people. He doesn't say gain territory in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Why doesn't he imagine a more proactive function here? Why doesn't he... Uh, uh, Give us some sort of dramatic uh, um, line leading offence. Well, I'd like to tell you or at least give you the, uh, the benefit of uh, some study I've done. It seems that as a Roman uh, army advanced into new territory, it would shore up its victory uh, by setting up a strategic camp. The strategic camp would be set up sort of for protection and sort of looking after uh, the sick and the wounded and the livestock and everything else that, that comes with moving an army into territory. And uh, if you have a look at the various uh, guidelines, you'll find that um, the rules and measurements for, for Roman um uh, for Roman camps was very intricate and rigorous. You know, uh, the Home Office would just immediately see something that it completely uh, uh, is in tune with. You know, it's got to be this wide, this this long. It's got to look like this. You would have the uh, the General's Camp as the uh, uh, the place that you could overlook. Uh, far into the territory as possible and then everything else would emanate from that and you'd have parallel lines and squares of different uh, camps and it was uh, uh, incredibly well governed the structure of this camp and once the camp was raised you know once the army had moved forward won the territory set up camp 
um, there would be this strict set system of sentry duties. Um, and I was sort of reading it and it's pages and pages of how sentry duties uh, um, were disseminated between the soldiers that were part of the camp. And there were tablets that you had to exchange and when one was missing that meant something had gone wrong and there were tallies involved. And uh, the, the honour of sentry duty uh, in this camp uh, was something taken immensely seriously. And to uh, uh, be lackadaisical, to be lazy, to be negligent or apathetic about this uh, was not something in the Roman soldier's vocabulary. I want, um, so there's this Greek historian called Polybius. Um, and about 100 years before Jesus, he writes about the punishment for neglecting sentry duty. So this is just a guard just on the street corner making sure everything's all right. And this is what happens uh, if you don't do your job properly. A court-martial composed of all the tribunes at once meets to try him. And if he is found guilty, he is punished by the bastinado. What's a bastinado, you may ask? And this uh, is inflicted as follows. The, the tribune takes a, a cudgel and just touches the condemned man with it, after which everyone in the camp uh, beats or stones him. They all pile in, in most cases, killing him in the camp itself. But even those manage to escape, and you can imagine them escaping by the skin of their teeth. But even those who manage to escape, they're not saved impossible for they are not allowed to return to their homes none of their family would dare to receive such a man into a house those um, who have fallen off course fallen into this misfortune are utterly ruined can you hear the importance the roman army put just on people being at the right place at the right point you know they're not advancing they're not killing they're not winning medals they're just doing their job and this scenario is where a territory is already being gained, a foothold has already been established. And that victory is just being maintained. That victory is just being upheld. There, um, I don't know if you know about Pompeii, but uh, Pompeii was a, um, a sort of now as an archaeological site. Um, and it was sort of discovered in the 19th century and there were excavations uh, uh, for uh, the, the, this place with sort of uh, significant Roman influence. And there was a skeleton found um, uh, amongst this archaeological dig. And there was a soldier and he was found in full armour. And historians sort of looked at the setting and at the landscape. And it seems that this guy stayed at his post, remained loyally at where he was assigned, while all the other inhabitants of Pompeii were legging it because Mount Vesuvius was erupting in 79 AD. So uh, uh, this volcano gone off, it was killing and uh, just absolutely taking out uh, the, uh, the city of Pompeii. And this Roman soldier had such an acute scent of uh, who he was, what his job was, and what people expected of him, that he stayed where he was, despite lava and fire and magma and uh, chaos raining down. You get a sense, don't you, of the importance of the sentry duty. 
when Paul tells believers to stand, he tells them to do so as sentries in Jesus's strength and power. The Ephesians don't gain new victories. However much we love the idea, oh, I'm going to win something new for Christ. And Paul doesn't say that. He is very careful with his words. He says, stand. He is explaining that they are like Roman soldiers guarding the conquest Jesus has already won. Jesus has already won the victory. They don't need to add to it. They cannot add to it. Listen to this um, at the beginning of Ephesians. Just this is uh, something that he builds on when he gets to the armour of God. Listen to this victory of Christ described earlier in the book. It says this in Romans, Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That's you and me. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in the present but and also one to come and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him head uh, to be head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fools everything in every way does that not sound like a victory does that not sound like Jesus is in charge does that not sound like Jesus is enthroned and there's no one that can endanger what he has done. You can't add to that. You can't advance the victory of Christ because it already has been established. You can't add to the kingdom of God because Jesus has already done everything when he rose from the dead. And that changes things, doesn't it? Suddenly changes how you look at yourself, changes as you look at your Christian walk, changes what you think about this armour of God. Paul had this clear idea of Christ's majesty, of his deity. He was sat at the right hand of the Father and everything was under him. There is no name in the past, no name in the present, no name in the future that Christ is not over. Jesus has this unassailable position and he rules with perfect knowledge, perfect strength and perfect success. And so Paul excites us to gaze at Jesus and goes, look at him. He's already established everything. The victory is assured and certain and established. The cross and the empty tomb mean that victory is assured. Heaven has already won. Some of us need to tell ourselves heaven has already won. It's not up to us to win. Heaven has already won. And so we simply stand. We stand on his strength, not on our own. We stand on his activities, not what we do. We stand on what he has already done. We stand on his strength 
and we just resist the devil's miserable efforts, his protests that will come to nothing. You and I, we're not vying for anything. Failure is not an option. It is not in our vocabulary because it will not happen. We stand on a finished work. It is finished, Jesus said on the cross, for a very good reason did he say that. We stand on that. We are to be vigilant, yes. But we have no reason to be afraid, no reason to be frightened, no reason even to be a little bit timid. We can be bold and unashamed because Christ has already done everything needed to win. And the last point I want to sort of uh, uh, bring to you today um, is the, the effect of military uniform. Um, you see, the soldiers Paul was familiar with worked hard to differentiate themselves. You know that they were military men, they weren't civilians. They were uh, men under orders and with a, uh, uh, a clear function. They weren't just carpenters or plumbers or roofers or anything like that. Their armour and their uniform were a way of indicating where their loyalties lie and what their identity was. They were for Rome and they were uh, 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 Roman soldiers. I want you to listen to um, the historian John Keegan. Uh, he, he wrote something about uh, sort of Roman warfare. says this Julius Caesar for example writing of his battle against the Nervi on the river Sombre in modern Belgium in 57 BC so this is uh, probably during Paul's uh, ministry um, and uh, he describes this critical moment the soldiers were crowded too closely together to be able to fight easily because the standards of the 12th legion had been massed in one place all the centurions of the first cohort had been killed, together with its standard bearer, and its standard had been lost. In the other cohort, almost all the centurions were dead or wounded, and the chief centurion, Sextius Baculus, a very brave man, was also exhausted by the wounds, many and severe, that he had suffered, and he could hardly stand up. This graphic description of the reality of legionary warfare in which the unvarying daily order of the camp with its set duty of guards, sentry duty, and fatigues and the regular comforts of the kitchen and the bar halls, no different at all from the routines maintained by European garrison armies a hundred years ago, could be suddenly interrupted by confrontation with a yelling crowd of unshaven and unkept strangers. Sounds like some guys from Bubrish, I know. Uh, perhaps daubed with paint, brandishing deadly weapons, reeking of dirt and fear, and sweating with the intense exertion of muscle power warfare, conveys, without the need for further demonstration, that the Roman professional soldier did not serve for the monetary rewards enlistment brought him. This Roman soldier's identity and loyalty. Listen to this. His values were those by which his fellows in the modern age continue to live. Pride in a distinctive masculine way of life. 
concern to enjoy the good opinion of comrades, satisfaction in the symbolic tokens of professional success, like medals and stuff, hope of promotion and expectation of a comfortable and honourable retirement. And we find in John Keegan's words this identity and loyalty that withstood battle, withstood massacre, withstood all sorts of uh, affronts. The Roman soldier would wear their armour as a signal. They believed in discipline. They believed in obedience. They believed in strength. And they, if you've seen the Gladiator uh, film, believed in the glory of Rome. You would never ask, would you, a Roman soldier, what they did for a living. It would be obvious. You wouldn't ask them, also, what do you like doing? What are you interested in? It would be plain as the nose on their face. As we uh, stand on the cusp of exploring the different items used in spiritual warfare, please realise that when we put them on, we are doing the same as a Roman soldier. We proclaim our identity and we proclaim who we are loyal to. The devil and the demons, they invite us to be known for our lifestyle choices, for our deeds, for our idiosyncrasies, for our sexuality, for our hobbies, for our interests. This is what we're invited to be known by. But Paul says, don't be known for those things. Put on your armour. Put on the badges of what you believe in. Uh, put on this armour so that it is obvious Christ is the only one that commands our fidelity and that Christ is the only one that determines our identity. Jesus said this in John 13 and I think it's just really appropriate when we think of the armour of God. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. I want to end with some advice the very famous uh, preacher Charles Spurgeon uh, gave to some Christian leaders. These Christian leaders would have had their identity in Christ, they would have put on the full armour of God, their loyalty uh, and identity was supposed to be clear. And then he writes this. The great enemy of souls takes care to leave no stone unturned for your ruin. Take heed to yourselves, says Baxter, sort of Reformation uh, preacher, I think he's Scottish, because the tempter will make his first and sharpest onset upon you. If you will be leaders against him, he will spare you no further than God restraineth him. He beareth you the greatest malice, that are engaged to do him the greatest mischief. As he hates Christ more than any of us, because he is the general of the field and the captain of our salvation, and does more than all the world besides against the kingdom of darkness, so does he note the leaders unto him more than the common soldiers on the like account in their proportion. The devil sees those with prominence in the kingdom of God and he has got it in for you.
He knows what a, what a rout he may make among the rest if the leaders fall before their eyes. Just think of Christian leaders that have fallen, maybe even recently, and the just the, the, sh the shake that that brings and the uncertainty. Uh, and the devil says, you see, the devil has long tried that way of fighting, neither with small nor great comparatively, but these and of smiting the shepherds that he may scatter the flock. And so great has been his success this way that he will follow it on as far as he is able. Take heed therefore, brethren, for the enemy has a special eye on you. And the more you put on the armour of God, the more you single yourself out for the devil's uh, devices. You shall have his most subtle insinuations and incessant solicitations and violent assaults. That is what success looks like for a soldier. Battle. For a civilian, success looks like peace. But for a Christian soldier, it looks like battle and constant fighting. It is exhausting. It is bloody. But... Uh, this talk of soldiers works well for so many reasons. As wise and learn as you are, take heed to yourselves, lest he overwit you. The devil is a greater scholar than you and a nimbler disputant. He can transform himself in an angel of light to deceive. He will get within you and trip up your heels before you are aware. He will play the juggler with you undiscerned and cheat you of your faith or innocency. And you shall not know what you have lost. Nay, he will make you believe it, it, it is multiplied or increased when it is lost. You shall, neither, uh, you shall see neither hook nor lie, much less the subtle angler himself, while he is offering you his bait. And his bait shall be so fitted to your temper and disposition that he will be sure to find advantages within you and make your own principles and inclinations betray you. And it just and the devil's just a cunning beggar and he knows what issues get on your back. He knows what things really rattle your cage and these will be the things that he pointedly uses to disturb you, to attack you, to take the rug from under your feet. And make, uh, um, and whenever he ruineth you, he will make you the instrument of your own ruin. Pretty uh, grim reading uh, for uh, just sort of closing the sermon, uh, bringing it into land. But we find the enemy as just nefarious and cunning and not someone we can defeat on our own. The enemy is a clever and terrible enemy. He would beat us black and blue on our own, isolated. If we are detached from Christ's victory, there is no hope. As indeed most people that are going to hell know. As we are distanced from our church, as we are distanced from our fellowship, as we are distanced from our friends and our family, from those encouraging words, uh, uh, and from uh, all other people that just help us in our faith. As we are distanced by this pandemic. 
We can feel isolated. We can feel alone. We can feel like easy pickings to the devil. And so at this time, above all, we need to pay attention to Paul's call to stand. And this is why we're sort of going through this sort of moment of armour uh, uh, for these few weeks. Because it is a time when we can uh, uh, feel uh, like easy pickings. And Paul would say, no, stand. Don't stand in your own efforts. Don't stand in your own accomplishments. Don't stand in your own victories. When we plant ourselves on Christ the rock, and that's the rock that's seated in the heavenly realms, that has got everything under his feet, uh, that is above every name in the past, in the present and in the future. When we plant ourselves on Christ, our loyalty, our identity and our victory and our eternal Destiny is steadfast and sure and certain and it is inequivocal. You can't argue with it. The devil doesn't get to say anything because the victory is won. And so the call is for these weeks, put on the full armour of God. Put on the full armour of God and stand on the finished work of Christ. Please bow your heads. Jesus, we thank you that you have won the victory, that your death on the cross and your resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father means that you are above all. Lord God, I thank you that you have enlisted us into your spiritual army. Lord God, I thank you that we don't have to take new territory because you've already won. Lord God, I thank you uh, that uh, we cannot take away from it and uh, Lord God, we recognise that we can't add to it. Lord God, I pray that we would put on the full armour of God and shout aloud what our identity and who our loyalty is to. And that other people uh, would know us by this uh, spiritual armour that we put on. Lord God, I pray that we may realise that uh, winning in this life isn't comfort success, money, power, uh, popularity, but it is your battles and that we will see the fruits of that in eternity. Lord God, I pray as we continue in this lockdown that you would bear with us and that we would know uh, um, a soldier's victory in your army. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.